Section 16 of Eugene Onegin by Alexander Pushkin, translated by Henry Spalding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Canto the Eighth, The Great World, Part Two. Twenty-one. He quits the fashionable throng and meditative homeward goes. Visions, now sad, now grateful long do agitate his late repose he wakes they with a letter come the princess n will be at home on such a day oh heavens tis she oh i accept and instantly he a polite reply doth scrawl what hath he dreamed what hath occurred in the recesses what hath stirred of a heart cold and cynical vexation vanity or strove again the plague of boyhood love twenty two the hours once more onegin counts impatient waits the close of day but ten strikes in his sledge he mounts and gallops to her house away trembling he seeks the young princess tatiana finds in loneliness Together moments one or two they sat, But conversation's flow deserted Eugene. He, distraught, sits by her gloomily, Desponds, scarce to her questions he responds, Full of exasperating thought. He fixedly upon her stares, She calm and unconcerned appears. 23. The husband comes and interferes with this unpleasant tete-a-tete. With Eugene, pranks of former years and jests doth recapitulate. They talked and laughed. The guests arrived. The conversation was revived by the course of wit and worldly hate. But round the hostess scintillate light sallies without coxcombry. A while sound conversation seems to banish far unworthy themes, and platitudes, and pedantry, and never was the ear affright by liberties, or loose, or light. 14. And yet the city's flower was there, noblesse and models of the mode, faces which we meet everywhere in necessary fools allowed. Behold the dames who once were fine with roses, caps and looks malign. Some marriageable maids behold, blank, unapproachable, and cold. Lo, the ambassador who speaks economy political, and with gray hair ambrosorial, the old man who has had his freaks, renowned for his acumen, wit, but now ridiculous a bit. 25. Behold Sabaroff, whom the age for baseness of the spirit scorns, Saint Priest, who every album's page with blunted pencil point adorns. Another tribune of the ball hung like a print against the wall, pink as Palm Sunday cherubim, motionless, mute, tight-laced and trim. The traveller, bird of passage, he, stiff, overstarched and insolent, awakened secret merriment by his embarrassed dignity. Mute glances interchanged aside meet punishment for him provide. 26. 
but my Onegin' the whole eve within his mind Tatiana bore. Not the young timid maid, believe, enamoured, simple-minded, poor, but the indifferent princess, divinity without access of the imperial Neva's shore. O oh, men, how very like ye are to Eve the universal mother! Possession hath no power to please, the serpent to unlawful trees I bids ye in some way or other. Unless forbidden fruit we eat, Our paradise is no more sweet. 27. Ah, how Tatiana was transformed! How thoroughly her part she took! How soon to habits she conformed With crushing dignity must brook! Who would the maiden innocent In the unmoved, Magnificent autocrat of the drawing-room seek, And he who had made her heart beat quick. T'was he, amid nightly shades, Whilst Morpheus his approach delays, She mourned, and to the morn would raise The languid eye of love-sick maids, Dreaming perchance in weal or woe To end with him her path below. 28. To love all ages lowly bend, But the young unpolluted heart His gusts should fertilize, amend, As vernal storms the fields athwart. Young freshens beneath passion's showers, Develops and matures its powers, And thus in season the rich field Gay flowers and luscious fruit doth yield. But at a later, sterile age, The solstice of our earthly years, Mournful love's deadly trace appears as storms which in chill autumn rage and leave a marsh the fertile ground and devastate the woods around. 29. There was no doubt, Eugene, alas, Tatiana loved as when a lad. Both day and night he now must pass in lovelorn meditation sad. Careless of every social rule, the crystals of her vestibule he daily in his drives drew near, and like a shadow haunted her. Enraptured was he if allowed to swathe her shoulders in the furs, if his hot hand encountered hers, or he dispersed the motley crowd of lackeys in her pathway grouped, or to pick up her kerchief stooped. 30. She seemed of him oblivious, despite the anguish of his breast, received him freely at her house, at times three words to him addressed, in company, or simply bowed, or recognized not in the crowd. No coquetry was there, I vouch, society endures not such. Onegin's cheek grew ashly pale, either she saw not, or ignored. Onegin wasted. On my word, Already he grew physical. All to the doctors Eugene send, And they the waters recommend. 31. He went not. Sooner was prepared to write his forefathers To warn of his approach, But nothing cared Tatiana. Thus the sex is born. He obstinately will remain, Still hopes, endeavours, though in vain. Sickness more courage doth command than health, So with a trembling hand a love epistle he doth scrawl. 
though correspondence as a rule he used to hate, and was no fool. Yet suffering emotional had rendered him an invalid, but word for word his letter read. Onegin's Letter to Tatiana All is foreseen. My secret drear will sound an insult in your ear. What acrimonious scorn I trace depicted on your haughty face. What do I ask? What cause assigned that I to you reveal my mind? To what malicious merriment, it may be, I yield nutriment? Meeting you in times past by chance, warmth I imagined in your glance, but, knowing not the actual truth, restrained the impulses of youth. Also my wretched liberty I would not part with finally. This separates us as well. Lenski, unhappy victim, fell. From everything the heart held dear, I then resolved my heart to tear. Unknown to all, without a tie, I thought, retirement, liberty, will happiness replace. My God, how I have erred and felt the rod. No, ever to behold your face, to follow you in every place, your smiling lips, your beaming eyes, to watch with lover's ecstasies, long listen, comprehend the whole of your perfections in my soul, before you agonize to die, this, this were true felicity. But such is not for me. I brood daily of love in solitude. My days of life approach their end. Yet I in idleness expend the remnant destiny concedes, And thus each stubbornly proceeds. I feel, allotted is my span, But, that life longer may remain, At morn I must assuredly know That thy face that day I see. I tremble lest my humble prayer You with stern countenance declare The artifice of villainy. I hear your harsh, reproachful cry, if ye but knew how dreadful tis to bear love's parching agonies, to burn, yet reason keeps awake the fever of the blood to slake, a passionate desire to bend and, sobbing at your feet, to blend entreaties, woes, and prayers, confess all that the heart would fain express, yet with a feigned frigidity to arm the tongue and e'en the eye, to be in conversation clear and happy unto you appear. So be it, but internal strife I cannot longer wage concealed. The die is cast, thine is my life, into thy hands my fate I yield. Thirty-two. No answer. He another sent, epistle second, note the third, remained unnoticed. Once he went to an assembly, she appeared just as he entered. How severe! She will not see, she will not hear. Alas, she is as hard, behold, and frosty as a twelfth night cold. Oh, how her lips compressed restrain the indignation of her heart! A sidelong look doth Eugene dart. Where? Where? Remorse! Compassion? 
pain where where the trace of tears none none upon her brow sits wrath alone thirty three and it may be a secret dread lest the world or her lord divine a certain little escapade well known unto oneguine's mine tis hopeless homeward doth he flee cursing his own stupidity and brooding o'er the ills he bore society renounced once more then in the silent cabinet he in imagination saw the time when melancholy's claw mid worldly pleasures chased him yet caught him and by their collar took and shut him in a lonely nook. 34. He read as vainly as before, perusing Gibbon and Rousseau, Manzoni, Herder, and Chamfort, Madame de Stahl, Bichat to Sotte. He read the unbelieving Bale, also the works of Fontenelle. Some Russian authors he perused, not in the universe refused nor almanacs nor newspapers which lessons unto us repeat wherein i castigation get and where a madrigal occurs writ in my honour now and then e sempre beni gentlemen thirty five but what results his eyes peruse but thoughts meander far away ideas Desires and woes confuse his intellect in close array. His eyes, the printed lines betwixt, on lines invisible are fixed. Twas these he read, and these alone his spirit was intent upon. They were the wonderful traditions of kindly, dim antiquity, dreams with no continuity, prophecies, threats and apparitions, the lively trash of stories long or letters of a maiden young. 36. And by degrees upon him grew a lethargy of sense, a trance, and soon imaginations threw before him her wild game of chance. And now upon the snow in thaw a young man motionless he saw, as one who bouviacs a field, and heard a cry, Why, he's killed! And now he views forgotten foes, poltroons and men of slanderous tongue bevies of treacherous maidens young of thankless friends the circle rose a mansion by the window see she sits alone tis ever she thirty seven so frequently his mind would stray he well nigh lost the use of sense almost became a poet say oh what had been his eminence indeed by force of magnetism a Russian poem's mechanism my scholar without aptitude at this time almost understood. How like a poet was my chum when, sitting by his fire alone whilst cheerily the embers shone, he, Benedetta, used to hum, or, idle mio, and in the grate would lose his slippers or gazette. 38. Time flies. A genial heir abroad, winter resigned her empire white, Onegin ne'er as poet showed, nor died, nor lost his senses quite. Spring cheered him up, 
and he resigned his chamber's clothes wherein confined he marmot-like did hibernate his double sashes and his grate and sallied forth one brilliant morn along the nevis bank he slays on the blue blocks of ice the rays of the sun glisten muddy worn the snow upon the streets doth melt whither along them doth he pelt thirty-nine onegin whither gallops ye have guessed already yes quite so unto his own tatiana he incorrigible rogue doth go her house he enters ghastly white the vestibule finds empty quite he enters the saloon tis blank a door he opens but why shrank he back as from a sudden blow alone the princess sitteth there pallid and with dishevelled hair gazing upon a note below her tears flow plentifully and her cheek reclines upon her hand forty oh who her speechless agonies could not in that brief moment guess who could now fail to recognize tatiana in the young princess tortured by pangs of wild regret eugene fell prostrate at her feet she starts nor doth a word express but gazes on onegin's face without amaze or wrath displayed his sunken eye and aspect faint imploring looks and mute complaint she comprehends the simple maid by fond illusions once possessed is once again made manifest forty one his kneeling posture he retains calmly her eyes encounter his insensible her hand remains beneath his lips devouring kiss what visions then her fancy thronged a breathless silence then prolonged but finally she softly said enough arise for much we need without disguise ourselves explain onegin hast forgotten yet the hour when fate so willed we met in the lone garden and the lane how meekly then i heard you preach to-day it is my turn to teach Forty-two. Onegin, I was younger then, and better, if I judge aright. I loved you. What did I obtain? Affection, how did you requite? But with austerity. For you, no novelty. Is it not true? Was the meek love a maiden feels? But now, my very blood congeals, calling to mind your icy look and sermon, but in that dread hour I blame not your behavior. An honorable course you took, displayed a noble rectitude. My soul is filled with gratitude. 43. Then, in the country, is it not true, and far removed from rumor vain, I did not please you? Why peruse me now, inflict upon me pain? Wherefore am I your quarry held, is it that I am now compelled to move in fashionable life, that I am rich, a prince's wife? Because my lord, in battles maimed, is petted by the emperor, that my dishonor would ensure a notoriety proclaimed, and in society might shed a bastard fame prohibited? 44. I weep. 
and if within your breast my image hath not disappeared, know that your sarcasm ill-suppressed, your conversation cold and hard, if the choice in my power were, to lawless love I should prefer, and to these letters and these tears, for visions of my childish years, then ye were barely generous. Age immature adverse to cheat, but now, what brings you to my feet? How mean, how pulsanimous, a prudent man like you, and brave, to shallow sentiment a slave. 45. Onegin, all this sumptuousness, the gilding of life's vanities, in the world's vortex my success, my splendid house and gaieties, what are they? Gladly would I yield this life in masquerade concealed, this glitter, riot, emptiness, for my wild garden and bookcase. Yes, for our unpretending home. Onegin, the beloved place where the first time I saw your face, or the solitary tomb wherein my poor old nurse doth lie beneath a cross and shrubbery. 46. T'was possible then, happiness, nay, near, but destiny decreed. My lot is fixed. With thoughtlessness it may be that I did proceed. With bitter tears my mother prayed, and for Tatiana, mournful maid, indifferent was her future fate. I married. Now I supplicate. Forever your Tatiana leave. Your heart possesses, I know well, honor and pride inflexible. I love you. To what end deceive? But I am now another's bride. Forever faithful will abide. 47. She rose, departed, but Eugene stood as if struck by lightning fire. What a storm of emotions keen raged round him, and of balked desire! And hark, the clank of spurs is heard, and Tanya's husband soon appeared. But now our hero we must leave, just at a moment which I grieve, must be pronounced unfortunate, for long, for ever. To be sure, together we have wandered o'er the world enough. Congratulate each other as the shore we climb. Hurrah! It long ago was time. 48. Reader, whoever thou mayest be, foeman or friend, I do aspire to part in amity with thee. Adieu. Whate'er thou didst desire from careless stanzas such as these, of passion's reminiscences, Pictures of the amusing scene, Repose from labor, satire keen, Or faults of grammar on its page. God grant that all who herein glance, In serious mood or dalliance, Or in a squabble to engage, May find a crumb to satisfy. Now we must separate. Goodbye. 49. And farewell thou, my gloomy friend, Thou also, my ideal true, And thou, persistent to the end, my little book. With thee I knew all that a poet could desire, oblivion of life's tempest dire, of friends the grateful intercourse, 
Oh, many a year hath run its course since I beheld Eugene and young Tatiana in a misty dream, and my romance's open theme glittered in a perspective long, and I discerned through fancy's prism distinctly not its mechanism. 50. But ye to whom, when friendship heard, the first fruits of my tale I read, as Saadi anciently averred, some are afar and some are dead. Without them Eugene is complete, and thou, from whom Tatiana sweet was drawn, ideal of my lay, ah, what hath fate not torn away? Happy who quit life's banquet seat before the dregs they shall divine of the cup brimming o'er with wine, who the romance do not complete, but who abandon it, as I have my Onegin, suddenly. End of Canto the Eighth End of Eugene Onegin Read by Marianne Spiegel for LibriVox.org